aren't there a lot of like royal titles for like the emperor's boyfriend uh where where the emperor is like i'm gonna give this guy a promotion so he can hang out in my quarters more and you know that I, I know there's been history of that something like, like that like the the queen's like uh uh um i just realized there's no male equivalent for mistress <laughs> that that appropriately gets the implications across boy toy yeah okay you're yeah right. yeah boy toy <laughs> i was like master is fully wrong ah yes okay <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. What's up? And Indigo, uh, who may or may not say hi. Sometimes she she likes to, to jump in. Sometimes she likes to just kind of hang out in the shadows. Oh, uh, a Cleo has just jumped onto my desk. You can't uh, see it, but uh, but here she is. Uh, this is truly. a this is a way more in- involved intro than than we usually have. Oh, happy uh, day! She <laughs> picked oh my gosh, her moment. Here. We were, like, hanging out for 15 minutes before we started recording, and Cleo didn't show up at all, but now that the limelight's available... <laughs> yeah, she knows when the recording is happening. <laughs> oh, magnificent. Anyway... And maybe it's because, um, like, you do a slightly different voice when you know you're presenting, and she's like, ah, <laughs> he's got an audience. <laughs> Cleo's got a sense. I swear, this this cat can read the clocks. She knows when it's 6 o'clock and when it's, it's legally uh, allowed for her to kamikaze jump onto me uh, <laughs> from the nearby shelf uh, in order to get uh, uh, breakfast. Um, this well, we cat is uh, far too smart uh, <laughs> um, to... Uh, um, I don't know, but she, she's a smart cat. She's uh, a smart cat. Anyway... Wow, this this really got off the rails <laughs> fast. I, I, oh man, I am lost. Anyway, All right, where were uh, we? Uh, welcome were back we? to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I'm Red. I'm joined by Blue Indigo. We were debating whether Indigo was going to make her presence known today, and I feel like odds are low. But who knows? Variety yeah. is the spice of <laughs> we life. We were we were talking about Indigo, and Cleo's like me. It's me. <laughs> Cleo's like I'm, I'm here, here to confiscate the brain cell. Uh, yeah, <laughs> HR exactly. has arrived. Yeah. So. uh... Oh, God, how do you normally handle these intros? Uh, we had videos that came out, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> um. I, I did want to take a second to uh, to congratulate uh, a friend of the channel, uh, Max Miller. Uh, and Tasting history, yeah. Uh, Tasting history. Uh, and his husband, Jose, uh, they just got married this past week. Woo! Fantastic, incredible. Yeah. Uh, he had some some videos on, on wedding cakes and, and wedding drinks uh, for Tasting History and Drinking History last week. They were very fun. Uh, very exciting. So congratulations to them both, uh, wonderful people. I think it's uh, telling that... It was very that... exciting to uh, to follow along on the uh, little Instagram uh, stories. He was like, oh, we're getting ready. Oh, we're getting in the limo. Oh, here we are on the beach. It's like, ah, it's so much fun. So I was going to say, it's telling that I don't put together context clues because I did see his photo of their cake on Instagram. And it was like, oh, what a big cake for only 20 people. And I was like, I mean, he could have baked that for all kinds of reasons. I don't want to assume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Yes, all our congratulations. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun couple weeks, just in general, all things considered. Uh, we both had surprisingly kind of spicy videos. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, we really did. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a, it, it was a bit of a uh, bit of a time. Which one do we want to go for first? Uh, we should probably go chronological. Uh, and uh, my memories of the uh, my video are a little fresher, so we, we can afford to wait on that one. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, my video from from two weeks ago was uh, was about Sicily. Um, it was uh, a 
uh, a wonderful video to do because I mean all of my 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 Italy videos have been you know Rome and up, yeah. uh, Florence, Venice, uh, fuck Milan apparently. <laughs> I get some comments like Milan, no, I'm like I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time I I took a look at the history of Southern Italy in depth. I've referenced it obliquely a couple times, but um, this was just you know giving it its its own video and. Man, uh, that could have easily been three videos, uh, oh, yeah. and in fact, uh, it will be two because uh, <laughs> I had several notes uh, on Magna Graecia and you know classical uh, Southern Italy and Sicily that uh, I fully cut uh, because I had to put them in another video. <laughs> it's like I can't if, if I do this, I'm going to be here for for 15 more minutes, uh, and by the time I get to Roger of Sicily actually becoming king, uh, this will be a 45 minute video. So uh, Magna Graecia is getting. Sp- Split off into its own thing, Woo-hoo. so uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was hard to consolidate all of it into one narrative because there's just so much stuff, um, and it's one of those weird stories where even though it was about Sicily, it was also about Naples, and it was hard mm. to kind of like do the dance of talking about them both, not like unfairly looping Naples into Sicily's business when they weren't really doing the same thing, but also not just totally ignoring them, so. It was a tough balance, but I feel like I did yeah. um, as, as good of a job as I, as I reasonably could have. Yeah. Um, yeah I, think I, I, I had a lot of fun because it is, it is way cool uh, in, in that corner of the Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, I think you knit it together pretty well. Uh, thank you. I, I will admit, as somebody who already does not have a very in-depth understanding of world history in general, when it came to Southern Italy... Even the part where apparently that's where the mafia was from was a surprise to me when you were first doing it. You were like, yeah, I mean, everyone knows about the mafia part. And I was like, yes, note, mafia South Italy. <laughs> As I was like reading through the script and, and you're like drawing this stuff together. It's like, and this leads to the creation of the mafia. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm up to speed. <laughs> South Italy, also known as East, 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 East Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and east 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 philly oh um, yeah <laughs> uh south yeah. philly correction oh my mistake east 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 south philly yes <laughs> yeah exactly oh um, no i mean you can't fault that... me i fell asleep for the middle three quarters of the godfather so you know yeah. oh no indigo i'm so sorry about the outrage on your face Brad, that was bold of you to say that in your shot of indigo <laughs> <laughs> what I'm sorry. I think I was watching it with a group of people who were way more into it than I was, and it's just like God. Everyone's talking so quietly, and nothing's happening. And you come onto this my up, podcast weeks before <laughs> Blue's wedding, <laughs> and you tell me you didn't watch The Godfather. On this, Look. the month of tasting history and also blues weddings. <laughs> Let's piss off the other 50% of our audience by saying I did the exact same thing when I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> 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 What? That's right. Today I choose violence. <laughs> I will say the second half of Rocky Horror is not as good as the first. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I just yeah. didn't get the appeal, honestly. Yeah. Okay, I jumped into the podcast interrupt because Red summoned me with the movie hot takes that genuinely feel like an affront to my culture, but I'm going to disappear and tell you guys to get back on topic first. <laughs> and this is a great encapsulation of how hard it is to talk about the history of Sicily without getting dragged into the fucking mafia. <laughs> like, I, I had to Google so many things. I'm like, mafia origins South Italy? Mafia uh, pictures crime? Question <laughs> mark. 
Oh, it was no. like it's so hard to research this stuff without like like falling under the like very like obvious like this is like if there was anything that could 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 get you uh, on the list of like dumb shit you Google that you shouldn't <laughs> Google. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was it's uh, up there. Yeah. Anyway, jumping back to before the uh, to before the 1860s and 70s, um, I. I had a lot of fun with it, um, even though I, I did a lot of, of skipping over the later parts because the Spanish the Spanish period um, is like ah, it's a bunch of people from from Spain coming in to build nice houses and not doing anything else. Uh, yep. yep, for five hundred years, cool. Uh, and it's um, there's a lot of implications for like those kinds of systems where it's like yeah, sure there is tremendous wealth in in you know in this kingdom of sicily but like it's not being spent on any of the right stuff there was mm. there was one frame that i had um when i was talking about sicilian baroque where it's like it's only okay to build like mega works when the people are actually like able to provide for themselves and exist because if they're impoverished and you're building public mega works you're just being a dick and a few people caught that and i'm glad <laughs> they did yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think of, of of what else. I like my brain keeps on taking me back to the mafia. Yeah. Um, but uh, like you know the Norman stuff, the multiculturalism was 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 really cool. Obviously, um, a couple. You know what? There were a couple uh, a couple comments that 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 really were like, oh man, you. You, you did the dumb today uh, because there were some people who said, yeah, the thing with Sicilian history being so, like, multicultural is, like, who does it belong to? Like, it doesn't belong to the French. It doesn't belong to the the Scandinavians because, you know, they were Normans and then they, they came down. And it doesn't doesn't belong to the Greeks. It doesn't belong to the Muslims. It doesn't belong to anybody. I'm like, it belongs to the Sicilians, yeah, you Yeah, what are you dipshit. talking about? <laughs> so there's – and this is actually – this is a, a, a fairly common line of attack um, – against these kinds of, of multi-ethnic cultures. Like, oh, I can't put this into one box, therefore I can't ascribe it to any, like, you know, continuity or or, or let anyone, you know, take pride in this because, oh, Sicil- Sicilian history doesn't belong to any one person, therefore no one can claim it. It's like, no, that's the opposite. Everyone who has participated in it can claim participation in it including the sicilians who are still there it's their home and this i mean you you see this a lot it's sometimes it's a dog whistle sometimes it's just people being dumb and rude but um i saw a couple comments like that that really really pissed me off uh (laughs) so i wanted to uh to address those ones um don't let people get away with that shit (laughs) yeah really like it, it seems like that ties into this broader space of just like people claiming and rejecting cultures that they like or dislike almost willy-nilly uh mm-hmm. i mean like you've discussed at length in various videos mostly about britain uh that like there's a long-standing tradition of like cultures claiming to be the heirs of like rome and and greece and it's like greece is still there my dudes <laughs> greek people live there yeah <laughs> and some romans and it's just like yes but like but like us up here, you know, with all our sheep and rocks and nothing else, we're we're the true heirs of the Roman Empire because we're cool, and that's the only and, and yeah. you know, I mean, I don't want to say cultural appropriation because that has such like so many implications attached to it, but that's literally a lot of what that is. Is like, you know, this culture is cool, and I want to identify with it, even though I you know have no connection to it, and this culture confuses me, so I want to categorically say that it's probably dead, and nobody can connect to it and it's just like yeah. guys guys yeah most of this is none of your business that this, 
Yeah, it's the assertion that this cool thing was secretly mine all along. Uh-huh. Um, so by by uh, forcefully rejecting that, uh, um, uh, you can actually better understand how history works. Uh, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of, of, of side topics um, within this, but uh, it is a surprisingly common line of attack to basically deny that people who live in a place can claim, like, authentic... Um, not not even ownership, but but can claim you know kinship Connection with X Y Z from the past. Like yeah. oh, you know, modern Egyptians uh, aren't say. real Egyptians. <laughs> uh, oh, modern Greeks aren't real Greeks. It's like no, it's what the fuck are you on yeah. about? And who wrong. are you to get to declare that, Mister? I yeah. live in England or America. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, a much longer conversation. Um, but uh, it. it, it it's an interesting space because there are so many players who have had a hand um, in this this Southern Italian historical game um, that that no one can claim any singular ownership, but everyone can claim participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people who can claim, like, yes, this is my stuff, are the Sicilians. If you live in Sicily, <laughs> Sicily is your history. So yep. it doesn't belong to any particular ethnic group. It belongs to Sicilians. It's a geographical thing. And everyone who's been a part of Sicilian history can claim participation. Actually, but you can't exclude people on that, which I'm is sorry. which is the point I'm trying to make. You know what's interesting about that? Like, uh, there's this kind of idea I've noticed that, like, America, the, the modern version of the U.S., as, as, like, this kind of cultural melting pot of everything, is, like, this this new, unprecedented thing that we're kind of figuring out how to process. It's like, what does it mean to be American? What, what part of the identity can you claim? Especially for, you know, all the different ways people came to this country. That leads to all kinds of different connections to that kind of complex identity. Yeah. But, like, when you were describing Sicily, it's like, yeah, there's a ton of people here. It is a melting pot. How do we... Wait a minute. This isn't a new concept at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why it's so hard to categorize. Like, we're, we're running into the same problem nowadays with a living culture that we're in, and it's like, you know, you look back historically at something that was very similar, and it's like, well, it's difficult to put this in any one ethnic box. And it's like, yeah, we're living that right now. Why is this weird to you? Yeah. Anyway. No, I, I, w- one thing I'll, I'll, I'll add is that the the, the concept of, uh, of of a melting pot is that that phrasing is, is I think, specifically American. Uh, mm. Canada uses a term that I actually prefer, which is a cultural mosaic, um, which is not to say that everyone has to melt together and become the same the same like cultural ethnic goo uh but but that as a mosaic all the pieces fit together to make something bigger as as uh as the combination of all that so the phrase that i coined in this video was culture is harmonic is Ah. another way to describe that which is you know every everyone still is is their own little musical note but when you play those notes together it sounds a lot better than all the notes on their own so Mm. um yeah there have been you know um islamic world with the maimonides video from from two weeks ago uh, last pod, you know, this this kind of thing happens a lot, um, yep. and it's it's cool to recognize it when it does. And the unfortunate tragedy of, of Sicily is that after the uh, after the Hotvilles and the uh, the Hohenstaufen family, who uh, uh, our friend uh, Ludo History uh, Yellow said, I, I gave the Hohenstaufens a little bit of, uh, of of short shrift, and I'll, I'll actually double back to them in a future video later this year, uh, which will be exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, even though I gave them a little bit too little credit. Um, 
after them, you, you really see it drop off when people who have no idea what was special about this culture come in, stomp on it, and then just extract it for wealth. Uh, uh, mm, so, mm. yeah. anyway, yep. Yep. Uh, before we, we get too, too far into, uh, <laughs> into very annoyed um, arguments about um, people being, being dumb and also racist, uh, <laughs> let's transition uh, into um, something... Uh, <laughs> Much more palatable. Yeah, <laughs> right. Take it away. Yeah, yeah. So my trope talk for uh, for this week was about the subject of fridging. Um, and before we get into it, I want to say this is not a video that I am one hundred percent happy with. Um, I, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, you know, I, I wrote it the way I did for a reason. But like, the more I thought about it, the more I edited through it, I, I just been looking at it for too long. You know, like I, I got to the point where it's like I was only seeing. All right, I could have polished this up a little more. I could have added like a five minute discussion of this thing. But I was like, no, you know, ultimately, whatever. You know, I, I had thoughts on it and I put them out. So I'm, I'm happy with that. But, you know, a, a lot of the comments and the replies were a little bit kind of more confused than I wanted them to be, because the trope, as I discussed it, is kind of difficult to categorically define. Um, Partially because I was working on the more complicated definition than the one that was coined initially by Gail Simone back in, like, the 90s, uh, where it was a much simpler concept, because the uh, traditional definition of fridging is not the one I used of, oh, it's a character getting unceremoniously killed specifically to another character. It is specifically that in superhero comics there is kind of a dearth, or at least there was and still is, of uh, important female characters with arcs that aren't centered on the latest male protagonist who can uh, be made to suffer by killing them. Uh, so, you know, Kyle Rayner's girlfriend is uh, the example that is on the thumbnail and the one that coined the phrase, but Gwen Stacy is an example. Uh, lots of characters like moms and girlfriends mostly, and, and just at the time, there were really no other solid female characters in comics. And the fact is, if they introduced a female character, she would almost always get killed off or brutalized or something like that. And, like, Barbara Gordon in The Killing Joke was kind of uh, seen as insult to injury in that because it's like, she was a cool character, she was a superhero, and she still got fridged. Um, so, you know, this is a, this is kind of a spicy topic. Uh, I When I address tropes like this, I try and go for the structural issue. And in this case, there are two structural issues. One of them is unceremoniously and brutally killing a character, specifically hurting another character, usually means that the impact will actually not work. Like, as I said, it's a fundamentally broken concept. To kill a character is to impact the story in some way, but if the writer does not care about the character they're killing, then the impact is going to be automatically reduced. The, the trope kneecaps itself halfway across the starting line. But the flip side is like, okay, well, why does this trope disproportionately affect women and stuff? Oh, because the female characters are seen as less worthwhile and less important, which is due to, you know, cultural structures of sexism and, and just, and, you know, it's it's not just women. It's also like, okay, if you have a character who's not white, the odds are good that they might get fridged too, you know. All these demographics and groups that are seen as more disposable than the protagonists, those structures exist outside of the space of fiction. You know, those problems are, are mirrored into fiction because of the biases of the writers that are writing them. The trope itself, as I tried to categorize it, was the, the narrative st structure that, that produces this, um, this ultimate problem rather than the characters it specifically targets. But as several people pointed out, the official definition of the trope does not sweep the fact that it's a deeply misogynistic structure under the rug. And uh, I, I probably could have added like five minutes to the video to specifically discuss the, uh, the structural stuff that contributes to that. And the, um, you know, but 
the video was already kind of long. And, I mean, hey, that's what the podcast is for. That's why we're it here. It is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and people did seem to like it, I think. I got a few people being like, oh, you're obviously cherry picking examples. And I'm like, uh, I am not. I am picking examples that work, you ass. But like, I mean... You know, this is this is a complicated trope, and every character death is a little bit different. Uh, so it's like, okay, this character death may look like this, but it's actually this, and this character death looks like it fits some of the definitions, but that's why we clearly can't just work on the definition I've already given. We have to add more factors. You know, it, a lot of the time, it's like, well, what what separates a fridging death from a non-fridging death? Uh, how good the writing is. But that's not a very helpful thing for me to say, so I try and narrow it down more. It's like, okay, if you kill this character off screen, that's a bad sign. But even then, killing a character on screen doesn't really save you from it. Okay, so how much how much weight do you give the character death? How much does it affect the characters going forward? That affects it. Like the the example I kept circling back to to refine my definition was uh, Lisa in Castlevania. Yeah. Because on paper, she kind of topologically resembles a fridging death, but she really isn't, and it was difficult for me to figure out why that is for a while until it's like okay, she she really impacts the story, and the fact that her death is unfair. And we miss her as a person is really, I think, what makes it. The fact that we get her, in, uh, we get invested in her in like five minutes, and we want to see her succeed. Yeah. And then they take that away. Like it's not. Oh no! I feel so bad for how this affects Dracula and Alucard. We don't even know Alucard at this point. You know, we haven't met mm-hmm. him yet. We we feel bad at how it affects Dracula because we saw what the the same thing Lisa did that he could be better, and now he's not going to be better. It's you know it, it's difficult. Yeah. It's it's the, a <laughs> w- one of the the clear markings of a fridging is does the plot forget about it five seconds <laughs> later, um, yeah. which is the the Natasha Bench in a Lake test. <gasps> uh, but the thing with Castlevania is that the entire impetus of the show is on a narrative level. It's based on the fact that Lisa was killed, but the the entire driving force for Alucard. And Dracula mm-hmm. is not just that Lisa died, but their relationships to Lisa. Yep. Um, and the character that she represented while she was alive and even what she represents in death. So Actually, you know what? I think I just found, figured out another part of why that worked. Um, in a lot of cases, when a character gets fridged, the, the protagonist who's angry about this is angry at the person who killed them, like like very specifically, and it turns into a vendetta. It's essentially just a heroic motivation for why they hate the villain so much. Um, and in Castlevania, the guy who kills Lisa is essentially killed unceremoniously <laughs> and off screen, and it yeah. doesn't do anything to help. It's not about him, and that's so much of this. I think ultimately the 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 the, the white hot nugget at the center of fridging is who is this about? Is it about the person who dies or not? And Castlevania is about Lisa in a very yeah. real way. Yeah. But Endgame is not about Natasha, and Infinity War is not about Gamora, and and their deaths are not about them. Yeah. Natasha the, dying the... is about Hawkeye. Gamora dying is about Thanos and later yeah. Star Lord. Those two are are a fascinating example because they they work in different ways and they reveal very different things about the shortcomings of of each movie. Yeah. I think it was it was great that that you were able to compare those two and it's real bullshit that we were in a position of having those two to compare. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Both times someone gets yeeted off the cliff of Vormir, uh-huh. it's a fridging scenario. It's like, MCU, you did not have that many female characters to start with and you had the audacity, 
to I, tease me with killing your watered-down version of Hawkeye and then pull it away from me. <laughs> I can imagine, like, like Marvel's What If that just went up on Disney Plus recently. It's like, mm. what if a man got thrown off Vormir instead and Red Skull's <laughs> like, shit, I didn't think we'd get this far. <laughs> Actually, I will say that from what I've heard, uh, the people who've been writing the last episodes of What If clearly hate what happened in Infinity War and Endgame with N- Natasha. Uh, and, like, went out of their way to undercut it at every possible turn. Um, I, I don't know the details. I haven't watched it. But as I understand it, there's at least one timeline where Natasha is the only survivor in the entire universe of Ultron wiping everything out. And she doesn't even die at any point. I think she makes it into a better universe to hang out. Nice. Which is great. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's what she deserves. But, like, when... When Endgame came out, actually, just a quick tangent, uh, because a few people noticed that my phrasing in the video made it sound like Black Widow had not yet come out. And that's because I wrote it before Black Widow had come out. Um, And here's the problem. I have not seen Black Widow. I have not been able to bring myself to, because the way I see it, there are two possible options. If it's bad, that is insult to injury. If it's good, they had 10 years to do this before she was safely dead. And they didn't. And that's stupid. So there's no winning here. Like, they, they, they beefed it so hard for a decade that they cannot recover at this point. Because no matter what they do, they already killed her! Before she got a solo movie, they killed her off! And that's ridiculous. God. Uh, and I, I actually remember when I was watching Endgame in theaters, uh, Natasha has a personality. It's crazy like they give her a personality i was like wow wow finally someone in the writer's room realized wait a minute and (laughs) i watched with growing dread (laughs) as they set it up and i was like they can't do that she doesn't have her solo movie yet they wouldn't be that stupid (laughs) that would be ridiculous yeah and um yeah anyway yeah um so it was uh that was um (laughs) one of the 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 trickier trope talk um topics Uh, because there, there's a lot wound up in it. Uh, oh, and yeah. it's like, in order to really appreciate this trope, we have to unwind about 3,000 years of culturally institutionalized sexism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, but anyway. Um, As a benefit, th- uh, Gail Simone follows us on Twitter now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Great week for our Twitter follows. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, we have to well, we have to maintain a careful balance of, of who we follow to, to, to stay at the funny number. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. But it's always worth it in the end. <laughs> always worth it, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. It was um, it was a spicy couple weeks. I think. I, I think overall they they did surprisingly well. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the the trope talk still hit trending. So there's only so bad I can feel about like, oh, if only I'd polished it just a little more. It's like, eh, you know, yeah. whatever. I'll take it. <laughs> After yeah. a certain point, you gotta go fire and forget with your art. You know, like. I mean, you, yeah. You can't, it's, you, you can't you know, spend a million years trying to polish one single yep. thing uh, and get it perfect. I think Hank Green had the like eighty percent rule, which is like get it eighty percent of the way to perfect. Yep. And yep. then you're good. And uh, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been here anyway, for way too long. We have. Yes. Let's right. move on to Q and A time. Q and A time. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. These questions come from uh, all of Ask OS Pod on Discord. Man, I've <laughs> I have had very little uh, to consume today besides somewhat sugary coffee, so we're going to really be ha- going through time today. 
Uh, <laughs> this uh, it, here's the thing. Uh, sleep Dep is proportional to the quality of the OS pod. <laughs> I, I and that is to say that none of us ever have any sleep the night before recording for God knows what reason. <laughs> I got some sleep, but less sleep than I did for the entire previous week. So, yeah, I feel yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you want to support the pod, support the channel, consider becoming a patron and have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Ozymandias, the first and last, to Blue. If you could grant yourself any of the strange and wacky royal court titles and nicknames throughout history, which would you go for? Personally, I'm oh partial to Thunder Dragon Emperor. Whoa. Oh, which is there... pretty good. Okay, there are some, there are some real wacky uh royal titles that exist i think the most famous one is for like the president of uganda um mm. which is like 30 titles long like def- defeater of a uh, defender of africa and conqueror of the british uh in africa in general and uganda in particular or something silly like that i'm looking um, this up because what? i have to know i'm looking it up <laughs> oh yeah okay um but uh you know, I haven't thought about that. I don't. I don't think of myself as, as being a, a royal on, a, uh, on a, a quite a regular yeah. basis. Well, um, I found a title uh, for uh, <clears throat> His Excellency President for Life, Field Marshal Al Hajj, Doctor Edi Amandada, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea, and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular. Yeah. yeah! <laughs> <laughs> he also unofficially referred to himself as the King of Scotland, according to this Quora entry. <laughs> <laughs> he bought like four parcel or like four square feet of land from that that like uh that um company that gives you like a square foot of land in Scotland and you can legally call yourself a lord. Yay! <laughs> if I get like a dozen of these, I'd become king, right? So tempting, um, honestly. <laughs> anyway, uh yeah, I I don't know. I think um as far as like because I don't think about it for kings a lot. I think about it for for like country titles more often. Because that's that's more of where I more of where I work. So like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the most serene republic of Venice. Like you can't <laughs> fucking beat it. It's so simple. It's so clean. It gets the point across perfectly. There is nothing more descriptive with fewer syllables than that because there are a lot of countries that go to great lengths to make themselves look good and they do not pull it off with uh, with the words they choose aren't there a lot of like royal titles for like the emperor's boyfriend uh where where the emperor is like i'm gonna give this guy a promotion so he can hang out in my quarters more and you know that I, I know there's been history of that or like, like that like the the queen's like uh uh um I just realized there's no male equivalent for mistress <laughs> that, that appropriately gets the implications across. Boy toy. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah boy toy. <laughs> I was like, master is fully wrong. Ah, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. Um, the One example of, uh, this is a, a bit of a historical tangent. I mean, this is what the question asked, yeah, so yeah, yeah. who am I to fucking uh, apologize? Um, with Roman emperor titles, by the end, like, Diocletian has like fully 30 titles to his name before like the name Diocletian. Um, but when you get Augustus, it's, um, you know, uh, Caesar Dewey Filius Augustus, uh, son of the divine Julius Caesar, you know, the, um, the, 
Oh God, what the fuck does Augustus literally mean? It technically it means like increased, but like the greater or like mm. the the magnificent or something. Um, <laughs> like Kaiser Dewey F. Like Augustus really really got it good in very few uh, characters on that one. Because um, some people just like they they throw words, they throw syllables. It just turns into like alphabet soup of titles, and it means yeah. nothing. But if you can like make the point in like two words, then then you got it. You gotta yeah. use the thesaurus well. Don't just fill the, th- the thesaurus yeah, you know for, for royal titles less is more yeah exactly <laughs> you, you you shouldn't need to have to say it <laughs> excellent uh well this this next question comes from little dragon considering october is adhd awareness month is anyone on the osp team on the neurodivergent spectrum i don't know if this was already addressed and i've been wondering if i'm projecting onto some of my favorite creators okay. <laughs> um well caveat not diagnosed, but odds are very good on the ADHD side of things <laughs> at this point. Like, every time I see one of them, there are big checklists of, like, if you do these things, you should probably talk to a doctor. And I'm like, haha, how relatable this funny internet post is. And, um, <laughs> yeah, but, like, uh, I honestly, the thing is, like, I'm, I'm fine and I've worked out a work ethic that really works for me, so I don't really see a need to seek that out. But, like, it, you know, it helps me to know what... Uh, <laughs> what methods and coping mechanisms I should look up if I'm having a bad mm-hmm. brain day, as it were. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. As, as far as I'm aware, I don't have anything that, that could be, um, like, diagnosable to anything specifically. Um, my brain works in weird ways, but I don't know if it's anything that appears on a chart, uh, is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, as, as far as I'm aware, um, aside from some, some possibly uh, unhealthy geographic obsessions with, uh, with the Mediterranean in general, and Uganda in particular, <laughs> uh, I, um, nothing that would, would put me um, on the, the spectrum. Yeah, I'm uh, officially ADHD as of like two months ago, got very yeah, recently baby. diagnosed. Woo! Party up, because yeah. for very Ooh. similar reasons to Red, I was like, I I just noticed a lot of this has been a uh, reoccurring themes of like, oh, <laughs> I do all of those things. And so I, I uh, wanted to have a label for it, if only so that I, I know and then what I'm going, because I'm very particular. I don't like to self-diagnose for things, so I, I wanted to uh, know officially what was up. And uh, they were like, yeah. you know, you you got it in one mysterious indigo person. <laughs> I was like, oh, good to know. So it's just, uh, yeah. it helps find s- strats to mm-hmm. to get around bad brain days but uh yeah i have found bro. that uh, apparently one of the uh one of the things about that is that uh stimulants don't affect your brain the way yes. they affect <laughs> other people's brains uh it's essentially I, I think i don't know how much of this is pseudoscience but uh, as i understand it the actual neurological component of adhd that people can tell is that uh dopamine levels are very low compared to the average uh mm-hmm. and there's like there's like a, a passive dopamine drip that most people get just by doing stuff like accomplishing chores which sounds fake as hell to me like you're right? telling me your brain rewards <laughs> you for doing nothing ridiculous uh a- so actually though kind of like yeah, that's I, ridiculous like yeah, when that's i insane. when i vacuum like the haptic feedback uh, haptic feedback of like getting a little dust and goes Vroom, that's that, that's good that's good <laughs> yeah and uh and you know I, I believe the gist is that it seems like the the main the core mechanism behind adhd is that that does not happen so you get reward dopamine for doing bigger things or exciting new things but you don't get it for doing anything that like you you already know how to do 
which basically turns into reward seeking. So a lot of the, the quote unquote symptoms of like, oh, you know, they seem really hyperactive. They can't focus. They can't sit still. It's like, yeah, they're working on like zero levels of functionality because they're bored out of their skull to a level you never reach, you you privileged feeder drip of dopamine, <laughs> you. Uh, and then, uh, so what this means is that when you have a stimulant, it like, it, it spikes your levels up to closer to normal. Uh, and I think the first time I was like, okay, yeah, that's probably what's happening, is uh, the first time I made Dalgona coffee, that thing that was super hot on TikTok last year, uh, because you're supposed to make it with two tablespoons of instant coffee, which is roughly the equivalent of six cups of coffee. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to make this, drink it, and document what happens. And what happened is I had a very productive work night for eight hours, yeah. and then I went to sleep. So Yeah, yeah I know um... I made a joke like five minutes ago about being a little jittery from coffee, but what I'm actually jittery from is the amount of sugar that I, because I went out exactly, to get coffee, yeah. and they put a lot of sweetener into it, and I usually just drink black coffee, which helps me focus as opposed to yep. like making exactly. me really crazy. It's the sugar same does thing. that to me too, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's sugar the sugar not really not a stimulant. The it, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I actually had an experience with a, a family friend who also, uh, she was like, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I just, man, coffee never wakes me up. And I was like, this is going to be a weird question. Do you have ADHD? And everyone else we were hanging out with burst into laughter because apparently, unbeknownst to me, she had super ADHD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was yeah. like, okay, hell yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, long story short, yeah. Odds are pretty good at this point. <laughs> and so. if nothing else, the coping mechanisms work for me. So we're like, you know, after a certain point, I, it, it's personal preference. I don't feel mm-hmm. the need to seek a diagnosis because I like handling this stuff by myself anyway. And it's like, if it's working for you and if the coping mechanisms help you, you don't need to know for sure what you are. The techniques can still help you out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, like I, I found it helpful to have the diagnosis just yeah. because it helps me focus in on like, okay, here's the things that I got to work on. Yep. Here's like why my brain works the way it does but that's not necessarily true for everyone like you said if you don't find the label helpful then you don't necessarily yeah. need to seek out the label you can just look at for coping mechanisms that work for you um, it's like coming and, out you know yeah. if it helps you it helps you but if it doesn't don't force yeah. it you know and even yeah. within like adhd people experience different parts of it oh in yeah. ways so like you know maybe your the caffeine thing isn't necessarily as true for you as it would be for someone else you know find what works for you the wibbly answers that are not super helpful but uh, yeah <laughs> ultimately true like if, if seeking a therapist help to help you figure it out is good for you great if just watching that one guy on tiktok whose name i'm blanking on but does really relatable adhd <laughs> videos helps you also great do yep. what you got i'll look him up and drop him his name in the show notes because i actually watch a lot Sweet. of stuff but uh yeah <laughs> yeah fun times <laughs> yeah so one definitely yes, one sorta, and one uh, gets more dopamine from vacuuming than the other two of us do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not trying to like like brag about being fucking normal, Bob, over here. It, it is just that I, I never found myself like falling into any of the traditional buckets of like, oh, like, are you ADD? Are you ADHD? Mm-hmm. Like, I never felt like I ever like when we were talking about that stuff like early in school, like figuring mm-hmm. out how those things like work and that they exist. Like dyslexia, I was like, I, I don't think any of that's me. Yep. Um, surely there is something uh, in my brain that is slightly different from uh, <laughs> from everyone else on Earth, but yep. um, nothing that I could at this point uh, put a label on. Um, you know. I'm sorry. The The funny thing is, ADHD is so undiagnosed in girls in oh, general. Oh, so much. Um, and it's just like thinking back as, as a as a rambunctious youngster that I was, um, I was the most 
textbook case in the world. I would not stop writing in the halls. I couldn't pay attention in class. Every single report card I ever had was like, she's brilliant. If only she'd apply herself. <laughs> like I was being distracted to mess with my teacher specifically, as if I could pay enough attention to remember their personalities. Yeah. And like, and for like, for like 10 years straight, it was like, you're, I mean, yeah. Oh, she's a problem child, but like, she's so smart. If only she applied herself and paid more attention. Anyway, back to diagnosing the boys in her class for being slightly loud. <laughs> well, that's the thing is what's really interesting people. about it. Because I found that like now in hindsight, knowing that I am this thing, everything mm -hmm. about my school experience <laughs> suddenly made sense. I'm like, oh, that's why I have to very hype, like very intently take notes during lectures or else I don't, yeah. I zone out and I don't get any of the information because the activity of doing something forces yeah. me to pay attention. That's not really something that they, because I was taking very good notes. That's not yep. something that they note as like a possible symptom because the symptoms that people tend to diagnose for ADHD when you're younger tend to be the ones that show up in particularly hyperactive young boys as opposed uh -huh. to like young girls tend to experience it a little bit differently. It, it tends well, which to be, is, so it, sorry, the, uh, the whole diagnostic tools are crazy. Yeah. Which is interesting about that specifically, because thinking about it, the way my uh, probable ADHD presented itself was very much the way you expect it to manifest in boys, because mm -hmm. I never developed any masking methods, because I never paid enough attention to realize what people wanted from me. <laughs> um, so I never figured out a way to, like, hide my symptoms or manage them. I would just, like, curl up in the back of the class with my notebook on my knees, like, that meant nobody could see I was doodling all through class. And it didn't matter, because I was getting good grades, because I could pay attention better yeah. if I was drawing. And I think... I had a couple teachers in high school who had to know that was what I was doing and never made a big deal out of it. I had mm -hmm. at least one one math class where uh, I, I had to go up to do the board at one point. I put my notebook down and I had just been drawing this like robot guy. And a couple people who were like sitting next to me were like, the fuck is that? But like teacher never brought it up. I was getting good grades. I was doing fine. So it didn't matter how I got them as long as I was doing okay. And like, that was honestly really helpful for me. Um, Cause mm -hmm. that meant by the time I was in college, I had it down to a science. I'm not going to sit in the back corner. I'm going to tilt my <laughs> chair back and I'm going to get good grades, baby. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, the diagnostic procedure is all wrong. I, I think, well, it, or at least it was when I was, you know, little, I, I think it's just, that there are the stereotypes and people can diagnose for the stereotypes, but the stereotypes are gendered and they don't recognize them when they present in women. So now like, here's the thing. I uh -huh. actually may have something to contribute to this conversation after all, because I oh, was oh. a horrible student all through middle school and most of high school, <laughs> but I behaved. So mm. no one told me anything was off. <laughs> it's like, yeah, blue is not like, he doesn't really care. He doesn't like work hard at all. And he doesn't like seem to try or have any investment. But he's polite and he shuts up, so clearly he's fine. It's like, yeah, guys, I think that's wait a minute. Sort of that, that sort of speaks to a larger issue in the general education system where it's like, if you're a kid who's not making a problem for anyone else, if you're not being disruptive or uh, not in any way, like, breaking up the potential for other people to get through a class or distracting the teacher is usually the way it usually comes up, you're probably going to fly under the radar. And, you know, yeah. for me, like, I wasn't necessarily a good student, but I did really well in school because... I was yeah, able to yeah. do very similar things to Red, where it was like, well, I'm not really paying attention at all, but I, I'm getting good grades, so no one really cares. If yep. you're not the problem child, quote unquote, um, you're going to just skate through under the radar. Yeah. Yep. All of and the funny the thing is, I was absolutely the problem child in middle school, but it didn't seem to occur to anybody. And like, I knew, like, there, there were people in my family, boys, who like, the, the teachers were like, 
we think you should get him diagnosed and possibly put on something to to make him a little bit more chill and it's like and then there's me in the background climbing on shit in the back of the class and they're like settle down (laughs) and pay more attention anyway (laughs) it's just i mean god it's really funny um in hindsight at the time it wasn't all that funny (laughs) um (laughs) But yes, short answer, I think there's a reason why our ragtag crew of misfits has banded together to sort of dismantle <laughs> the education system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. were all yeah. failed by it in different ways. <laughs> Not that I think a diagnosis would have done me any good at that age, honestly. I, I honestly think I kind of dodged a bullet there, but it's just really funny in hindsight. Like, yeah, she can't shut up or sit down, but, you know, it's probably normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, diagnosis makes a lot of things make sense in hindsight and some stuff where i was like i didn't even realize that that was potentially not a thing that other people were doing it's like yeah oh yep. you taught yourself how to knit last night <laughs> great you know you were supposed to go do get her anything else related to your homework right it's like no 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 but the dopamine told me that i should knit a blanket and that's what i've done <laughs> but uh, that reminds yeah. me i had I'm sorry, I had a music teacher who was very frustrated with me for all the reasons I've just laid out. I was a really good student, but I was completely uncontrollable. And the problem is, I never had the patience to learn how to sight read. Like, he taught us how to sight read from the very beginning. I never had the patience. What I would do instead is I would wait for him to play the song once, and then I would be able to play it from memory. And he, after he figured out that was what was happening, he was like, fucking fine. Keep the sheet music <laughs> so that you can reference it. Fine. <laughs> but like, I did not, I was the worst music student. I would play my songs faster than the rest of the group so I could be done faster to show off that I knew what I was doing and I didn't need to be there. And it didn't occur to me for fucking years that that's not how music is supposed to work. That teacher, fucking patience of a saint, I swear to God. Yeah. Oh, God. But, you know, make the system work for you. Don't work for the system. This next question comes from Wolf626. To all, if you guys were in a The Mummy 1999 style adventure, <gasps> what would your team roles be? What would be oh, the God. treasure and what would be the monster guarding it? So for those unfamiliar, you can always go watch the movie struck episode of The Mummy. Yes, but uh, The Mummy 1999 is a perfect movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it's basically an adventure where they're going to find the treasure, uh, a lost treasure in the City of the Dead got our iconic our, our team comp to kind of run through it since since we're putting ourselves into these roles we got rick o'connell he's our our sort of uh roguish <laughs> roguishly charming uh fighter man he shoots shoots first ask questions dibs, later dibs i'm calling dibs on rick i want to be rick <laughs> <laughs> you've got evelyn she's the the librarian the the brains of the group she knows all the mythology she knows all the legends she can read ancient egyptian she's your 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 brainiac getting you through a little bit a little bit lacking in street smarts, but book smarts off the charts. You've got uh, Jonathan, her her brother. He's uh, sort of the, the the kooky goofball who somehow manages to like pratfall his way to surviving the plot. Uh, and shockingly also, competent. Shockingly competent, especially in thievery and pickpocketing. He's a roguish, yeah, a roguish goofball. He's not an edge lord rogue. He's a goofball rogue. Uh, and then there's a variety of other characters who get killed off very quickly. There's the token greedy guy who goes down first to the curse. That's that's the warden. Okay, we cannot They're... forget my dude, Ardeth Bay, all right? Oh, of course, my of boy. course. <laughs> he comes in later in the movie to actually join the group at Ardeth Bay, the one who's in on it from the beginning, the guy who is a member of the uh, <laughs> sort of cult who's been protecting the ancient site and is a very capable fighter in his own right. 
uh, but mm-hmm. knows knows the lore behind everything that's going on because it's been passed down for generations. Sort of the the uh, more stoic badass type to the scoundrelly Rick O'Connell badass. Yeah. Uh, and then One there's thing, also uh, the villains and things. <laughs> Evie's brother is also very important for the plot because he is the only not hot person representation we have uh, in the main ex- cast. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> You know, you no. know. Is he as hot as Rick O'Connell and Evie? Or Ardeth Or Ardeth? <laughs> No, but is he not hot? Incorrect. Uh, well, agree to disagree on that one. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, if we were to sort ourselves into our own adventuring crew of similar roles, where do we where do we think we'd all fall? Hmm. Uh. <laughs> Blue, tell me you've watched The Mummy 1999 at least once. Blue's face says no, but I hope his no. answer says no. no. That's impossible. It's the best movie ever made. It's it's a perfect movie, and I don't say that about a lot of movies, but it's perfect. Like, I wouldn't change there, a fucking thing. Didn't Roger Ebert have a review of it where he's like, the only good thing I can say about this trash fire is that I had an absolutely fantastic time watching it. And it's like, yeah, that's really it. That's all there is. It's a fucking awesome movie. It's both well-made and flawless in execution like yes. it commits to its bit but uh no i think <sighs> i feel like the only character who i could possibly fill the role in is evelyn but <laughs> red you actually know middle egyptian well, <laughs> i don't <a> <laughs> well, yeah, the treasure we're going for is like a lost scroll from the library of alexandria then it's possible yep. that you might actually be more of the evelyn in that case than okay. Red. And look, okay. here's so the we're not specifically going going not, pyramid they, diving they did ask us to ask like what treasure are we looking for and i think based yeah. on the current like osp universe it's realistic this is a, like, this is a multifaceted question yeah yeah <laughs> that's why we're I, answering it <laughs> Yeah, and again, I'm not even conversational in Middle Egyptian at this point. I can read the alphabetical hieroglyphs. So, uh, well, my teacher was. Uh, she was a scary lady, but um, yeah, <laughs> everything else. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like the thing is, I have to be the Rick because I do not have it in me to to pay enough attention to the lore. <laughs> and I, I really like the approach of like, just point me in the direction of the thing that needs to explode and I'll do my best. <laughs> like that's a that's a nice that's a nice role I can play. Also his outfit, fucking killer. Ooh, All if right? I didn't already have my Halloween costume locked in for this year, Rick O'Connell will be rocketing to the top of the list real fast. Those side that holsters the that, side that like, holsters. Yeah. Uh. He kinda always like like it's weird. He's wearing a full outfit, and yet you get the impression that he's, like, artfully disheveled the whole time. It's very odd. Floppy-haired brunette scoundrel is a character yeah, type man. all into itself, and it's who yep. I aspire to be. But I think, realistically, out of the, the, the mummy gang, if Blue is the Evelyn and you're the Rick, I'm probably Jonathan. Just, eh. like, <laughs> I don't think I'm Ardith, because I'm not, like, a guns a-blazing go at- I don't know the lore inherently. Ah, gotcha. And I, I, tend right. to, I tend to veer more into making a joke out of a situation than I do taking it seriously. And I think of the remaining characters, that's probably more of a Jonathan trait than a That does mean you are probably better at surviving than almost <laughs> anyone else in the movie. <laughs> I mean, Blue, I did make sit it you down to and the watch end. the mummy. Yeah, Blue, yeah. You watch. I think what we're learning from this question is we got to make Blue watch the mummy. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I, let's see. There's, I, I haven't seen like most of the movies that are like, oh, absolute classic. And like, I don't know. I was too busy watching Looney Tunes. <laughs> as far as like my like youth understanding of media is concerned, if it wasn't parodied in either Looney Tunes or Samurai Jack, it does not exist. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, all right. Let's see. We need a we need a MacGuffin we're after, and we need a monster. Uh, the problem is. If I say Atlantis, that movie already exists and fucking slaps. It's, it's, we can do something with Delphi and the monster is a giant snake. Oh, snake. that's so manageable. 
Uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Delphi. Yeah. Like... Big snake. Manageable. Yeah. Of course. The <laughs> word I would choose for that noun adjective pairing. So you just play a play a funky pipe tune and it goes to sleep. That's how that works. Right? <laughs> I believe you have to murder it actually. But okay. So yeah. runes under Delphi. Uh, we need some kind of oracular spirit. Uh, actually, you know what? I think it would be cooler if we're dealing with both the oracle as some kind of creepy mummy type thing or like mm-hmm. a ghost and mm-hmm. the giant snake uh so we have a mm. we have a we have a base boss fight and then we have a real boss fight yeah the problem um, we have to solve is the oracle but sh- they they create the snake to to dissuade us or eat us i don't know how that i think if works. you want to delve into the lore what you can do is that technically the snake was kind of there first uh so the mm. snake was there and the, the oracle was also there but like was a servant of python and then Apollo showed up and killed Python and was punished, but it ended up working out. And then the Oracle became Apollo's Oracle. So that, oh, we have our Ardeth Bay, the current Oracle. Uh, oh, perfect. And it's like the ghost of the first Oracle or something like that. All right. Yeah, I think we can make yeah, this work. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. it's, it's, it's all coming together. Yeah, yeah. It's all coming yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, okay. the fan art's going to be Excellent. killer for this episode. Uh, well, <laughs> Blue, watch the mummy. I'm yeah. Making both of you, sure. I'm making both of you a checklist. <laughs> this is... This is getting ridiculous. Between the Godfather slander in the first half of the podcast and the okay. lack of mummy knowledge. At least I no, watched that movie, no, I can't at least 25% of it. <laughs> as, as a self-proclaimed cinemaphile, <laughs> this ends here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, okay, let's move on to some other questions before we get tra- yeah, uh, yeah. trapped in cinema slander for the rest of the podcast. This next question comes from Mischief of Pikachu's. Since it was mentioned on the last podcast, the now obligatory question is obvious to all. What is your preferred fall soup? Hmm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we uh, had to come back with a leaf report and a soup recipe. Yeah. Do you have uh, any leaves uh, or soups? Uh, <laughs> did you do the homework? Um, leaves haven't been falling much yet. Um, the Cyan and my basil plant uh, in our window is starting to dry up a little bit. Some of those leaves have been falling down, but those aren't those aren't walking on leaves. Those are in the plant pot leaves. As far as soup goes, um, I've got fully nothing. I've got one. I've got a mono soup. It's the best. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. It's not necessarily a fall soup, but it's uh, it's a Greek all classic. Yeah. Soups. No, I've got lemon slaps. For me, yeah. I have uh, very fond memories of uh, having it in uh, winters in large family dinners, uh, <laughs> and it, it's just it's it's man, it's just so good because it's 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 the only thing I can think of that makes hot lemon work because lemon <laughs> is like like citrus mostly works best when it's cold. But like Avocado soup fucking slaps, man. It's no, nice. it's great. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It, it's delicious. Yeah, uh, I usually default to my my family's. I don't know what it's called. We just call it cauliflower soup because it's a soup that my dad and my uh, puppy have always made. But uh, I think I've given the recipe out on the podcast before. It's just layers of cauliflower, breadcrumbs, parsley, and tomato, and you just layer it all up with some like onions and garlic sautéed at the bottom, and then fill the pot with water and just boil for however long you feel feels right uh incredible <laughs> seasons with salt and pepper very very easy that's my go-to soup all year round but it's particularly good in the in the fall when it's chilly they have a little crunchy bread in there Ooh, ooh, delicious yes. crunchy bread is what really brings the soup together oh yeah if you're not eating your soup with with a crunchy loaf of delightful bread then what are you doing yeah the way the the, the way that right i don't know about you but the way that i i most enjoy uh a nice bowl of avocado soup is you just take up Take like a piece of bread, just rip it into shreds, just toss it in there, and then mm. just just mm. Uh, have at. I do. The it's dip, also great when you get the yeah. soup served yeah. and it's like way too hot. You need to kind of bring it down a little yeah. bit. Dip the bread just, in till it's just cool enough. 
just rip it up, drop some bread in there, and then let it work. Yeah. Greek cuisine really has lemons down to a science. Oh, I mean, putting yeah. lemon yeah. juice on flaming yeah. cheese? Who the fuck thinks of that? But also, hell yes. Uh, historically, that was uh, Americans in Greek town in yeah. Chicago. Eh, I'll uh, take it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I am not one to be like, oh, it's not authentic. It's like, yeah, sure, it's not authentic, but it's still like in the umbrella of Greek food. Yep. It's um, authentic to still a different works. subset of the Greek community. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the same thing with a lot of, like, Italian-American food where it's, like, because it's all the southern Italians moved over here. This is My family is from uh, southern Italy, not Sicily, but a related region. And so <laughs> they move over here, and it's, like, oh, now we have access to all these ingredients that the northern Italians always seem to have, and we're going to just ball out on them, which is why a lot of, like, <laughs> Italian-American food is, like, super heavy, <laughs> like, cheesy yeah. and rich, and it's delicious mm, uh, it's for so that very reason. But it's not necessarily, uh, quote-unquote, authentic to the, the region that people are coming from originally. <laughs> If that's what authenticity yeah. means, then I don't want to be real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. Great yeah. soup, Rex. Eat soup all season long, people. That's Yes. <laughs> Consume the soup. Yeah, Red, I'm sorry for um-actually-ing you and then explaining why it's really pretentious <laughs> to um-actually people on that. Oh, no, that it's was... okay. Yeah. It's not good. on my A-game uh, no, today. Fun. Oh, it's good. Um, this next question comes from DD Keek, Keak, whatever. Uh... I don't usually like to read questions that are addressed just to me because it feels weird to ask myself a question on the podcast, but I took a screenshot of this earlier in the week and sent it to the OSP group chat and Red was like, you got to do this one on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, so here yeah, we yeah. are. got uh, To Indigo, which version of Nightcrawler is the best and why is it the one from X-Men Evolution? Well, first of yes. all, you're right. It is the one from <laughs> X-Men Evolution. And it's because not only is he a delightful little goofball, but he says the single greatest line in all of animation. Um, oh, no. In yeah. the episode where they have a weird time travel thing going on, and like I think it's Forge is it's Forge hanging with them. Yep. Yeah, it's Forge, and he's supposed. It, the show was in like the early two thousands, uh, and so it's like late eighties, early nineties lingo that Forge keeps using. And Kurt, seventies uh, like, man, seventies, seventies. Oh man, they go back even farther. <laughs> and so Kurt is like, man, <laughs> that homie's lingo is whack, dude. And that line yeah. has lived rent free in my brain since I was ten. <laughs> uh, I need to contextualize this for the anime watchers in the audience that Kurt Wagner is voiced by Light Yagami in this yes. show. <laughs> <laughs> and his mother Mystique is voiced by the female Shinigami whose name escapes me, but you know mm-hmm, who I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You know the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Watching Death Note after X-Men Evolution was a fucking trip, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, not only is X-Men Evolution just a delightful show in general that has aged in a way that is only funny. <laughs> As oh god, to it's so funny. The, the dialogue is hilarious and the fashion is even better. Um, the fashion gets worse with every passing year. Not a single woman has her midriff covered. Um, all crop Jean tops, Grey, as all many shoulder tops. pads as possible. Avalanche shoulder has pads. a salad bowl in his head and they make fun of him for it in the show. It's great. <laughs> shoulder pads or off the shoulder tops, no in-betweens. Yes, um, yes. Rogue, uh, a character who's, uh, <laughs> whose power involves skin contact, wears, like, a sheer see- see-through shirt to get the corresponding, like, stomach exposure mandate. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a great show, but Nightcrawler in general is just an excellent character. Um, yeah, he's great. He's, he's always like, the best member of any team he's on, is my... Yes, no matter what version of him. Thing. Yeah, he's my, probably my favorite Marvel character. Uh, he's hard to fuck between, up. The movies still to manage to. Yeah, he's just like, he's a swashbuckling, fun-loving yeah. little funky blue dude who, who teleports around, which is one of yep. my favorite superpowers, so 
I'm a big ride or die, but the X-Men Evolution Nightcrawler just has a special place in my heart. Yeah, for, uh, for X-Men <laughs> Evolution, they they uh, they reformatted him from Twunk to Twink and uh, yes. made him a pretty boy, <laughs> which I have no complaints about. Because, like, Absolutely in the comics, none. he was kind of, they kind of based him on, like, Errol Flynn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like them classic swashbucklers. So, like, he's blue and kind of looks like a demon, but in, like, a really handsome way. There's a lot of, like, X-Men sword Evolution. fighting on pirate ships and stuff. Yeah. Like, anytime they're like, we need to <laughs> give Nightcrawler like... a solo adventure. Quick, put him on a pirate ship for some reason and have him, <laughs> yeah. have him hold a saber. <laughs> Yeah, give him three swords so we can hold one with his tail and we can put it on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. is just fun. But then in the show, you know, everyone's kind of aged down because they were like, it's X-Men, but in high school. So Kurt uh-huh. ends up as kind of like this like sweet little bishy who's a little more insecure than he gets later. Uh, like, Which is, you know, fun. Uh, but yeah, it's a good show. It's so stupid. <laughs> It's so fun. Highly, highly it's also recommend. It's also weird for other anime watchers because the entire cast of Inuyasha is in there in major roles. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's so weird. It's it's delightful, and I would love to talk about Kurt Wagner and X-Men Evolution indefinitely, but we're sort of coming up on time, which brings me to our yeah. final question from Luinator to Red. Since we're coming up on time, uh-huh. we have to wrap it up. Can you take us on out? God damn it! <laughs> oh, you got me. You got me! Well, I hope you're happy. I'm going to have to improvise this one. There's no possible way I can reach my phone in time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. (laughs) As always, there will be another episode in two weeks because this is a bi-weekly podcast, not the other bi-weekly, this bi-weekly. You know the one. You know the one. Um, We have other episodes that you can listen to if you miss us we also have a youtube channel that we have new videos every friday and occasionally tuesdays but mostly fridays especially right now uh let's see oh yeah if you have a question for us uh we have the ask us pod channel on our discord you can also go there to hang out with people and yell about stuff it's pretty fun uh let's see what am i missing there's got to be other stuff you know we got like a merch shop and stuff like a red bubble that people should probably check out yeah you're successfully adding more things to the outro than are normally i'm trying to be thorough all right (laughs) if you want the job done right maybe you should do it i do (laughs) after you every episode (laughs) oh okay it's just redundancy i see how it is Uh well it's a fail um all right okay i see how it is uh all right i guess uh that's most of my bases covered you know i feel like we could probably go over a little bit more you know just mention you know, uh, the, the, the standard players in the show, it's uh, it's me, it's Blue, it's Indigo. Every once in a while, we have other people on. It's pretty fun. It's a cool, good time. Uh, <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter for stuff. I don't know. That could be fun. <laughs> but until next time, <laughs> I have been Red. I have been Blue. <laughs> this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on October 27th with another thrilling episode, but if you've got a question for us before then, or you just miss us, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube, or head to the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord for a chance to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all of that and more can be found in the show notes below, and we will catch you on the next episode.